The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Joining us today is the reporter behind a stunning new New York Times story about Apple's privacy practices in China. He is also fresh out of the Apple Epic trial, where the Fortnite maker is suing Apple over its App Store practices. So we'll touch on that as well. Jack Nikas, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You've been busy, man. I have. Uh... <laughs> And the, it's been a wild run for you the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the China one especially, uh, it looks like I just dropped that, but that was literally years in the making, which is painful mm-hmm. to say out loud. Um, so it's good to have it out in the world. Yeah. And so you have that story, you have this trial with Epic. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but usually the Apple beat has been sort of viewed, recently at least, as, a, as kind of a boring beat. Uh, where reporters have been like, all right, well, where's the next iPhone? Where's the next iPhone? But it seems to be heating up right now. Uh, do you share that sentiment? Uh, indeed. I mean, I think uh, without a doubt over the past several years, you know, if you look at, let's just compare Apple to Facebook. Uh, you know, I've said that <laughs> Apple is a little bit more boring of a company to cover because it has tend to have its shit together a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. And it's also the nature of its business. I mean, Facebook and Google you know, when you run social media, social networks, there's so much more intersection with society. But Apple sells devices and has really been shrewd and really tried to steer clear controversy. And I think that's worked for a long time. But with this trial, um, obviously, the antitrust questions are alive and well around Apple. And um, that's, that's become a big news item just in the past recent weeks. So Apple is being sued by Epic, which makes Fortnite, which is a very popular game, uh, for charging 30% fees in the App Store. Basically, if you want to buy credit on Fortnite, you'd have to pay through the App Store and Apple would take 30% off the top. And Fortnite is arguing that this harms consumers and forces prices up. Uh, But I'd like to hear your perspective. You've been following the case. Can you give us like a quick a quick description of what you've seen there, uh, you know, in the past couple of weeks. Sure. So um, this is a case about kind of an arcane topic. I mean, app store commissions, but it actually is one of the most important antitrust cases in Silicon Valley history um, because the app store is not just, you know, a little digital marketplace. This is an enormous uh, centers of commerce. It's one of the largest centers of commerce in the world in many ways. I mean, $100 billion dollars. Um, is what uh, you know. Some estimates are for just simply iPhone apps, um, and so this is an issue that has really been at the center of antitrust claims against Apple over the past several years. And um, companies like Spotify and Match Group have talked a lot about how they have to send 30 percent of a lot of their t- digital sales to Apple, um, and Apple rakes in billions and billions of dollars from the App Store. Uh, and so, targeting this commission could take a significant chunk out of Apple's earnings. Um, but what we had was, um, you know, a, a trial that was a little unusual during the age of COVID. It wasn't clear if it was going to happen in person, but the federal judge, um, Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers, did have it in person in Oakland. 
Um, and we had, uh, did you get you know, a chance attorneys. to go inside the courtroom? I, I never went. Um, but there was, uh, cause I, I had been in New York and traveling a little oh, bit, right, but right. my colleague Aaron Griffith did go. Yeah. So, well. so it was weird. Usually <clears throat> we as journalists go in and watch and mm-hmm. it's actually often great because you get to see top executives sit on the stand and squirm a little bit. <clears throat> but most of us journalists were having to listen in on this scratchy phone line. It was terrible. Um, I dialed in and it, it did feel like the entire court proceeding was taking place underwater. <laughs> yeah. And um and then we also had these pool reports. I don't know if you were on this like email chain, but mm-hmm. um some reporters were going in and writing these little pool reports and we were like desperate for any color for like what the epic CEO was doing during Tim Cook's testimony and things like that. Um but um yeah, it was it was basically one week of Epic's witnesses, which their start witness was their CEO, Tim Sweeney, who's this billionaire. Um, and he's kind of the man behind Epic Games and the man behind Fortnite. Then we had a week of expert witness testimony, which was pretty boring economists talking about the app market. Um, and then we had a week of Apple's witnesses, which included Phil Schiller, who obviously has been a senior deputy at Apple for, for decades. Craig Federighi, who's there. there. Yep. And then Craig Federighi, who's their software chief. And then finally, the last day, of the trial, basically, we had Tim Cook on the stand, which is the first time he ever took the stand as the chief executive of Apple. Right, and it didn't go so well for Tim Cook. Uh, I mean, Apple wouldn't argue that they they certainly obviously spun it as a you know as, as amazing testimony. But I what <laughs> what absolutely I think listen, Tim is is really he's he's a sophisticated uh, politician and executive. He knows. He knows his stuff and he sticks to his talking points. But I will say that he seemed a little bit, um, you know, a little bit uncomfortable when the judge actually started questioning him. Um, and that was a little bit of a surprise at the end of his testimony after the Epic lawyers had cross-examined, after the Apple lawyers had kind of given all his leading questions, um, then the judge stepped in. And the judge is super important in this case because she alone is going to decide who wins. This is not a jury mm-hmm. trial. Um, and so the judge, Yvonne Gonzalez-Rogers, she had been stepping in in some cases and, and asking pretty pointed questions of, of witnesses. And with Tim Cook, she said to him, you know, um, so one of the things Apple's been pointing to it, with this case is that its app store fees have only gone down. Um, so we talk about a 30% commission, um, but they, have did, they did change um, that commission to 15% for apps that make less than $1 million per year. They changed that last year. And Tim Cook said on the stand, well, we did that because we saw COVID was hurting small businesses. We wanted to help small businesses. And the judge was like, give me a break. You did this because of all this scrutiny. And she was, she was basically pretty matter of fact, which we all knew as journalists and kind of, I think, outside observers knew that this was obviously in response to pressure. And he didn't really have a good response to that. Um, and then um, she also said to him, you know, one of the things that she really has been clear about that she feels is very un- unfair that Apple does is this thing called an anti-steering rule in apps. And that basically is Spotify, for instance, they don't want to let you sign up for a Spotify premium account in your Spotify iPhone app because then you have they have to share 30% of your revenue with Apple. So instead, Spotify makes you go to Spotify.com, sign up there. They don't have to send the money to Apple. But Apple doesn't let Spotify tell iPhone app users to do that. So it's actually leads to this bad experience where like you're trying to sign up on the Spotify app and it's confusing and all this kind of stuff. And um, it's kind of like that on Netflix as well. Um, and uh, that's called anti-steering. So app, Apple basically prohibiting apps from telling people they can go out and sign up elsewhere. 
And so she she was pushing on that a little bit. And she was like, well, why don't you give consumers the choice of where they want to pay? And Tim basically said, um, because then we wouldn't get the full return on our IP. You know, Then we wouldn't be able to maximize our profits, essentially. Yeah, that stood out to me where he basically just admitted that, well, we're making life more difficult for our customers. So we're able to make more money. It sort of uh, pokes a hole through this narrative that all these companies are only out there for their customers. Totally. And especially from him. I mean, in some ways it right. was refreshing. It was like, yeah. wow. It's good that like, they're telling the truth. Oh, yeah, and a court it, case. Yeah. And it, it's also yeah. like, to some degree, listen, you're a business. We know this is, but but I think with Apple, and this goes to the China story as well, we'll talk about is he especially and Apple itself has branded Apple as not just any company. This is a company that um, is about these principles and we do this for the customer. We're not here to make money. It's like, oh, you just happen to make more money than any other company in the history right. of the world. You're also damn good businessmen. And, you know, people respect that and like it. But I think what I think sometimes throws people the wrong way is when um, there's not a full level of honesty or, or candor about the fact that you're a businessman. Right. And yeah, and then they end up putting people and companies through hoops in order to get, uh, you know, things like signing up uh, for an app for a premium yeah. service. And yeah, which is not good for the user. Consumer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so if Fortnite wins, what happens? <clears throat> well, it depends on how they win. Um, you know, obviously. Well, let's get that. Let's go to the best all, case scenario. If, the okay, best case so be, scenario for Fortnite. Sure, sure. So best case scenario is um, they can create their own app store. Um, essentially, that that uh, now there's no longer just the iPhone app store, but you can download from maybe just the web the Epic Games app store. Mm. Or the Epic, you know, and so you can go get any game there. And Epic charges 12% commissions. So therefore, prices on apps would theoretically potentially be cheaper, right? So then you suddenly start to have competition. Apps could become cheaper um, than what you're going to find on Apple. Um, and this is great for Epic because they could even charge their own commissions on that kind of stuff. They wouldn't have to pay Apple the commission. Um, it would also be great for companies like Spotify if they were like, listen, you can only find us in the Epic store or we're going to have our own store or whatever it is. Um, it would be a little bit more of a free-for-all. So that's great for app, some app developers that want to do that. Um, but then Apple says that that's, uh, that's not good for iPhone users because they said it's going to introduce all sorts of risk uh, in terms of security and all that kind of stuff. Um, right, because part of that 30% fee that you're paying for is them reviewing and making sure there aren't scams Correct. doing their best job of trying because scams get through inevitably yes but that's what you're getting for that 30 percent fee that's that's what apple argues that they do sort of security reviews um and they you know they curate it so it's safe place for kids mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff right so and that was a huge debate at trial epic was trying to poke holes in that the whole time and apple was really trying to sort of pr present that as the main defense of the 30 percent commission yeah, and how important is winning this case for Apple? Um, I did a little research before we hopped on the phone, looked at their mm -hmm. Q1 numbers. Uh, in Q1, they made $111.4 billion total, and $15 billion of that was from services, and services includes the App Store. So you might look at that and say, well, you know, it, you know, this would only cut into a small line item of Apple's business, but maybe Apple sees that differently. What do you think? I think so. I think that um, service has been a huge growth area. I mean, <laughs> I will say that th that was the case for a long time. Now all their businesses are growing uh, like bonkers. iPhone 
sales grew 65 percent last mm-hmm. quarter which is uh incredible considering it's like a 50 billion dollar quarter uh segment um right but, but that, that might be somewhat pandemic related a, where a little bit buy a little anything bit q1 2020 and then yeah bumped up. totally and i mean services is still um a huge growth driver for them and i think it's been baked into the stock for a long time that like <clears throat> this is something that as the market for devices becomes really saturated and people hold on to devices or whatever it is um services is a great growing business because you know the more the world grow- goes digital the more that number is mm-hmm. going to continue to grow the more we we continue to spend money on digital items versus physical goods etc um but also the app store i mean we don't know, but all the analysts suggest that that's a very, very, very high margin business mm-hmm. um, because, you know, <laughs> they're not putting, they're really just getting 30%. That's just gravy. I mean, right. They didn't, they, right. they've already created the iPhone. It's pretty minimal investment. It um, is a nice, I mean, when you have a monopoly, it's a nice, <laughs> nice way to make high margins. <laughs> no comment for I know you can't say not, anything but. <laughs> about it. But, <laughs> um, but I mean, yeah, yeah. so uh, they certainly don't want that. And then I think more so, when you just step away from the financials for a moment, it, it it also I think even more crucially that how Apple feels is that the entire Apple ecosystem has been built around this walled gar- or garden concept, right? You, you know, as we all know, you have the iPhone uh, and it's all Apple software. It's the App Store. They they're the gatekeeper for everything. They have full control. They've always liked it that way. And once you have new app stores on there, um, it changes that calculus and it affects how they can control their software and control the experience. And that's, that's something mm. I think that scares them more than anything. Right. And, and I think, you know, I, I, you know, we joked about it, but this percent, this, uh, the money that they make from the app store is just everything they say about the future of their business is that it's completely going to be services related that eventually people won't need to up- upgrade their iPhone every couple of years. Um, right. I've held on to the one that I have now for the longest ever. I think I have it for three years now and I'm not in a hurry to upgrade. Wow. And so Good for you. the money that they're going to end up making from services, things like the app store becomes central to their business. If they're going to be able to maintain their $2 trillion valuation. Completely. Or whatever Absolutely. Absolutely. Day. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it, it could be a very big deal, but it yeah. also could not matter. I mean, I think right. that there's, listen, I, I, I do want to hedge a little bit here is that there's a chance that this is a, what we do know is it's going to, it's, it's going to go to appeal. I mean, this is the nature of these court cases. Is like, yeah. no matter who loses, they're going to appeal it to the Ninth Circuit. There's going to be an appeals court. There'll be an appellate review. And the effects of any decision may get stayed until the appeal mm-hmm. appellate court rules on it. And then it could go up to the Supreme Court and get stayed again. Um, and then on top of that, there's a very high likelihood that the judge rules in a way that it's like neither side wins, that, that she makes some sort of like, she, they can't do this anti-steering thing. So there's this workaround that Epic could use to try to get around the commission, but it's not wholesale. So I think that, um, you know, it, I'm really interested to see what she rules. The other thing I will say is that at the beginning of the trial, everyone was said, Apple really has a, has a strong hand. The precedent really supports uh, the defendants in these sort of antitrust cases. But um, she seemed pretty sympathetic to Epic's arguments in case as the trial wore on. Mm-hmm. And so, it, again, it's up to one woman. Right. And um, she may, may have been convinced. Yeah, I highlighted that part of your story that you wrote uh, for the Times about um, about how long it will take for any of the effects to actually go into into place. And it's going to be 
a while. Um, you know, I find it interesting that she did uh, find some merit in the Fortnite or Epic uh, argument because, look, I, I, I'll say on this show, um, I've definitely been quick to criticize Apple, but you could, you know, look at Apple's side and say there's a lot of merit to it, which is that Apple could argue you don't like the App Store, build on the web. Uh, and and uh, and even then, uh, you know, how could you argue that we're a monopoly if the money you're making from Fortnite via the App Store and the iPhone is only like, what, 8 to 15% of your yeah. total revenue epic? So yeah. I don't really understand how, like, well, I'm, yeah, I mean, I don't really understand how Fortnite comes back to that. Like, what does Fortnite say in response to that? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I, that's why I think the trial... Is was really interesting is that there's really good arguments on both sides. It's a super mm -hmm. nuanced issue, mm -hmm. um, and I think you're right. I think Apple has some strong arguments that also we built this. We don't like you just want a complete free ride. Um, <laughs> you know, I think that that's. I don't think anyone really thinks that makes a ton of sense. And then I think on top of that as well is Apple has been really eager to point out that um, everybody else charges thirty percent too. Um, this is not a, a egregious number. Um, and, and they also point out that like, if you had to go sell your software in Best Buy, um, you know, like you used to with, with the CD-ROMs, your the percent that you ended up paying in commissions and all that kind of stuff was much higher. So they make all sorts of arguments that I think can be, can be compelling uh, to some degree. Um, but the, the nature of software today and app distribution is just so different that I think it's difficult to make those sort of comparisons and um, the numbers of the, the amount of money that Apple makes is so enormous. It's also like <laughs> something's going on there. It's that's not a normal business. There's yeah. a certain domination of the market. Well, that's definitely a theme with big tech, right? Which is that yeah. they have consolidated a lot of the revenue, a lot of the growth in the economy, right? Leaving the smaller players out to dry. And it has gotten to the point where somebody like, you know, uh, Tim Sweeney from Epic who's a billionaire can feel sympathetic and like the little guy, which is a wild <laughs> yeah. commentary of where we stand. Today. Indeed. Indeed. And, and, and I think I, I did point out in today's story or the, you know, to, uh, I did point out in our story about the wrap up of the trial was that um, you only could get Tim Sweeney to, to pursue this kind of case because um, he spent it took a lot a, of money. Yeah, a lot of money spent millions of dollars on yeah. lawyers and economists and expert witnesses. He also um, he sacrificed the Fortnite app in the iPhone store. I mean, he had like the world's biggest game <laughs> and pulled it out of the iPhone store, basically sacrificed it in order to sue. Um, and he also one reason is because he's essentially the controlling shareholder of the company. Um, he was the one who wanted to do this. There's no way you'd have a public company, you know, that would be will the board of directors are all going to do something crazy like this. For the long shot, and to some degree, for a principled stance um, on this issue, and so it, it kind of was a perfect um, opponent uh, to take this on. Um, and in some ways, I think a lot of app developers are thankful that Epic tried, but they're also worried that if Epic screws it up, um, it only ties their hands and strengthens Apple's position. Yeah, which is a perfect segue into my next question. Do you have a prediction for where this goes? I think that it's going to be one of these, I, I don't think either side's going to win outright. Um, mm. I think that, I, I just think that she, the judge seemed too um, convinced that something was amiss in the market, that, that, that something needed fixing. But she also seemed very 
hesitant to completely to, to significantly alter or or to force Apple to transform its business. Right. And so I think she's going to try to do something that's a little bit more around the edges, like telling Apple you've got to let companies tell uh, consumers that they can go buy elsewhere. Um, so I think it's probably going to be something like that. And she has a ton of discretion. I mean, Epic put forth what they want her to do, but she can really do whatever she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we're probably going to get one of these piecemeal uh, decisions. Yeah, I like what she said uh, in the trial that, that courts don't run companies, which I think mm-hmm. is a pretty good thing to pretty good value for a court to have. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think for everybody involved, it would be great for uh, companies to be able to tell people that they could buy services for cheaper on the web. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Right. Last question of this segment, why not settle? A, a lot of people said, okay, you know, these, these companies are going at it, you know, before they get to trial, maybe they'll settle. Why do you think we've seen a settlement? Oh, I think so the far? clear answer is because going back to Tim Sweeney is he, he's not in for money in this situation. He's, mm-hmm. he's actually willing to take an enormous financial risk uh, in order to do something that is to him, I think principled. I think that he wants to kind of be a champion of developers. Um, and then I think B, he's making a long-term financial bet that he's saying, listen, I'm going to, I'm, maybe I'm going to take the short-term hit, but if I can get out of paying 30% to Apple, that's enormous for my business long-term. Um, and so I'm not going to get paid off even a billion bucks from Apple um, because uh, I'm already a billionaire. My company's already hugely successful. Um, I'd rather try to change um, what their their practices and change the app store market. Um, and in fact, you know, a good sign of that is when Epic went to trial, they waived any damages. They said, we don't want any money from Apple. We want them to change their business. Hmm. Um, and that actually helped <clears throat> get the case go along, move it along a little bit quicker than it would have. Um, so it was pretty clear from the beginning that this was something that wasn't going to be settled. Um, now, that said, that's the case now. There's a chance this drags on for three, four years. Tim Sweeney may be like, okay, I, I'm I'm done paying millions and millions of dollars for lawyers. Like, get me out of this thing. Like, I've already lost too much or something. Who knows? But I think right now we're certainly going to see decision. Okay. Well, it's a fascinating case. We'll be looking forward uh, to seeing where it goes. And it's not going to resolve at least for another month or so. So you yeah. said this could drag out till August when we were talking. Before. Yeah, she's she's saying she's going to her prediction was she's going to deliver a ruling uh, by August. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, after the break, I want to talk with you about Apple in China. We've talked about Apple in in the App Store, uh, but you published an astonishing story about uh, how Apple treats customer data in China, which I think is fascinating. And again, goes a little bit more uh, in, in contrast with how Apple portrays itself publicly. So let's do that. After the break, we'll be right back here with Jack Negus. Have you been feeling the effects of stress, burnout, or anxiety at work? Workplace culture is changing, but we're not done yet. Listen to the Anxious Achiever podcast to rethink the relationship between your career and your mental health. Hear stories from psychologists, entrepreneurs, even athletes and celebrities. Learn how they balance success and ambition with staying mentally healthy and walk away with practical advice you can implement today. Get the Anxious Achiever wherever you find your podcasts. 
The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back here for the second segment of the Big Technology Podcast with Jack Mikas from the New York Times. Jack, you published a really fascinating story about Apple in China. Uh, And I think for a long time, we've known that Apple has a set of rules that it uses in China and a set of rules that it uses uh, in the rest of the world. Um, but I think it was astonishing just to see how how far the company is willing to bend in order to satisfy Chinese government demands, or at least that's what we think it is. So uh, before we get into the details and the nitty gritty of what actually happened, um, can you give us a picture of how reliant Apple is uh, on China, on the China market in particular? Sure. I think that's a really good place to start because it's crucial to the story. It, it actually is, uh, it'll help explain why we're seeing Apple do some of the things it's doing in China. Um, but it is safe to say that Apple has literally built its business on top of China. Um, it makes nearly all of its products in the country. Um, it sells uh, at this point about $55 billion worth um, of goods there every year. And uh, it's the country; it's the company's number two market. Um, and then, you know, as I mentioned, the, the supply chain there, the manufacturing presence, is so enormous and so sophisticated and complex that what Apple has built in China to manufacture Apple's global products uh, could not be replicated in any other country. And so, therefore, that means that Apple needs China to exist, um, and that is what has created uh, essentially a predicament for Tim Cook and the company. Hmm. And so Facebook, not in China. Google tried to operate in China. That didn't work. Yeah, Apple's they pulled out themselves. Yeah. 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 So why do you think it is that Apple is in while the others are out? Well, it's a difference in business to some degree. Um, Facebook doesn't need China in that way. If Facebook doesn't, it's not a hardware company. Mm-hmm. Um and Google, you know, essentially same thing. I mean, Google does manufacture some products in China, um, but Apple is first and foremost uh, a maker of goods. And um, they, you know, Tim Cook himself was the spearhead of Apple's entrance into China about two decades ago. And um, right when he they ran saw, operations, yep, he was he was he was the operations chief under Steve Jobs. And he saw an opportunity for you know cheap but also well trained labor to some degree. There was a lot of and also crucially a lot of government assistance. The Chinese government was eager to help Apple build a supply chain, um, and, and the Chinese government spent billions and billions of dollars to build uh, power plants and factories and employ housing and pave roads and all this sort of stuff to create this Apple supply chain. Um, and so that has just created a very different relationship between the Chinese government and mm-hmm. Apple uh, than any other tech company in the world. Right. But it's way. it's supply chain, but it's also products and market. And I think Facebook and Google didn't go because they were uncomfortable with the level of influence that the Chinese government would exert on the products that they ended up delivering to people at the end of the day. 
Apple You're seems, right. you know, did, did Apple seems much more comfortable uh, having that relationship. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it is it is twofold, and um, you know, Facebook and Google, uh, the types of products uh, that they operate and offer tend to, again, I had mentioned this earlier, kind of have a little bit more intersection with society and and speech and all these sorts of things that really make the Chinese government uncomfortable. And so Facebook mm-hmm. was never able to operate in China because the Chinese government doesn't want a social network like that that's run by an American company where all of its people are um, you know, communicating openly and not being surveilled, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and and again, with Google, they Zuckerberg, ran... Well, before you go to Google, sure. Zuckerberg tried real hard to end up yeah. uh, getting Facebook into China. He learned Chinese. And yes. there was a, a offer where he was going to allow Xi to name his daughter or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that's yeah, ob- I mean, that ship has obviously sailed. Now he uses right. China as a foil to show why Congress shouldn't right. regulate Facebook. Okay. Now, that, he, going now that he's out, he, yeah. his, his tone has changed. I mean, there's also <laughs> the, the famous photo of Zuckerberg oh, running, running through the smog, yeah. smog mm-hmm. in Tiananmen Square. So, yep. um, so you, you're right. Zuckerberg certainly tried. Google was the other way, right? Early on, Google went into China. Um, they were kind of a pioneer. Yep. And the, and the, it turned out that the Chinese government was saying, we need to censor your search results. Sergey Brin, who had grown up in Soviet Russia, really felt uncomfortable with that and was one of the leading voices inside of Google saying, no, let's get out of here. This is not worth it to us to compromise our values. And actually, that's a good point to remember because it, it ends up serving as a really interesting counterexample to what has happened at Apple, um, which is they went into the Chinese market, began selling iPhones and Macs and things like that. Obviously, it's an enormous growing c- country. People bought a lot of their products. Um, it turned out to be very lucrative for Apple. Um, and Apple was able to get around, you know, for some time, some of these censorship requests because it didn't operate a social network. It didn't operate YouTube. It didn't operate a search engine. Um, but what we've instead seen is it does operate an app store. And this mm-hmm. goes back to what we just were talking about with Epic. You know, th- this is an area of, of Apple's business that is continuing to kind of become a thorn for it. Um, and the Chinese government has um, really cracked down about what kind of apps Apple can offer in its app store. And it's uh, been something that's been reported on here and there, but but we really exposed uh, and revealed the level to which um, Apple proactively censors its own app store in order mm-hmm. to appease the Chinese government. Yeah, and I want to get to that in a bit, uh, but let's start with the data side of your sure. story first, because... Sure. Apple's big uh, competitive advantage or the way that it positions itself against the other companies is that it's the privacy company. I think you remember they had that big billboard in Vegas during CES that said, uh, what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Mm-hmm. And now let's talk about some of the details we found uh, out sure. you know, from your story. Sure. Um, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds. Um, yeah. It seems like the core of the news that you broke is that Apple is storing Chinese customers' data and data centers owned by the Chinese government. That raises some eyebrows. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about what what you found there and and why it's significant? Indeed. So, um, you know, Apple had actually, you know, said itself uh, a few years ago that it was going to start storing its Chinese customers' iCloud data on uh, a Chinese data center. you know, if you really read through the lines and you understood a little bit, you'd kind of see that this was a state-owned company that was going to be operating the data center. Um, and so that was what kind of made me and, and some of my colleagues, Rajang and, and Dai Wakabayashi at the Times, 
uh, start digging into this. And um, we, you know, through uh, uh, documents, internal Apple documents that we were able to review, and also uh, interviews with a number of internal Apple employees and, and, and security experts, uh, came to understand that um, basically Apple was making serious compromises um, with these data centers. And, and this was amid Tim Cook saying that, no, 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 you have nothing to worry about this mm-hmm. Chinese data. It's all very safe. It's encrypted. We have the keys. But what we revealed and what we learned was the way Apple has set this up is that basically Chinese government employees physically manage and operate the computer servers inside these data centers. Uh, the Chinese government legally owns the data. Um, Apple is using completely different in- encryption technology in China than it's using elsewhere in the world because China wouldn't allow Apple to use its typical encryption technology. And the digital encryption keys that unlock the Chinese customers' private information on these computer servers are stored in the very data centers that they're intended to secure. Um, so all of these compromises together, you know, when we talked with security experts and, and internal Apple employees, kind of combined to create a situation that essentially means that it would be nearly impossible for Apple to stop the Chinese government from accessing the emails and photos and contacts, calendars, and even locations of millions of Chinese residents um, if the government wanted to. Wait, did you say that the Chinese government owns the data? Yes. So that's, that's another... unbelievable. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, let's Yeah, let's no, it, it is. It's, it's um, I mean, one of the other revelations yeah. from our uh, story was about how Apple has created a very unusual legal arrangement um, in which... Um, the Chinese government is the legal owners of the data or the state-owned company called Guizhou Cloud Big Data Corp. Um, but name. It, yeah, it's actually, uh, so all of this is, is in some ways, it's right in the iCloud terms and conditions that, um, you know, I'm sure everybody reads. <laughs> and um, basically in 2018 or so, Apple required its Chinese customers to accept new iCloud terms and conditions in China. And those terms and conditions list GCBD, we'll call that, that's the state-owned company. They're listed as the service provider and the legal owner of the data. And Apple is listed as, quote, an additional party to the to the agreement. And then um, what I did an analysis of the terms and conditions in China versus the terms and conditions in other countries. And what I learned, you know, by by comparing the two documents is that there was new, there was a new addition to the Chinese document that said, quote, Apple and GCBD will have access to all data that you store in the service. And then it says, and share that data, quote, between each other under applicable law. And what that meant uh, and what that was somewhat intended to do uh, was to essentially allow, uh, so under this arrangement, the Chinese authorities go to the state-owned company to ask for data. And then uh, this state-owned company goes to Apple to ask uh, for the keys, I guess, to hand it over. Um, And Apple did this in part because American law prohibits Apple from turning over data to foreign law enforcement in the Chinese government, the Chinese authorities. So they said, hey, no worries. <laughs> we'll just allow them to own the data. The anyway. data. Yeah, exactly. Apple believed that essentially this created a legal yeah. shield for uh-huh. it. Um, yeah. That's so crazy. Was, that, was, that, was pretty, <laughs> yeah, that, that That was pretty interesting. To, and yeah. Partly because some of this was just all in the terms and conditions. Um, right. And, and the, but then we were able to get from internal sources that this was designed in a way uh, to get around American law. How easy would it be for the Chinese government to access 
uh, information without, you know, I, yeah, how, how easy, given the setup, how much easier would it be for the Chinese government to access the data with, the, with this type of setup versus governments elsewhere? And why might that be concerning? Um, so it's a good question. Th- there's two main ways to access the data, right? There's, let, let's talk first about kind of uh, not going through the legal process, you know, in China, not like going and asking for the data, but just kind of going in and taking it without permission. Um, yeah, that's the one I want to focus on. But yeah, okay. So a, talking, ask and ta- get it. That you know, so be it. But yeah, well, the ask and get it is kind of what I was just talking about with this legal ownership. Yeah. And again, asking and get it just real quick. They just have to ask their own state-owned company for <laughs> you know, the data. <laughs> right. Although we do, I will say, Apple does report cases in which Apple, the Chinese government's came come and asked for it, um, and it's far fewer times than what the U.S. government asked for. But one yeah. reason that may be fewer Maybe is because, because they have the keys. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So, um, so basically, I mean, w- what's very different here is in the U.S., for instance, uh, the U.S. government does not own the servers that the data is stored on. Um, you know, this is on Apple's own computer servers. Apple has uh, the keys, you know, stored in a way uh, that it only it has access to. And so, what's very different in China, is, again, as I noted, is that again, these are these is a Chinese government building. Um, Chinese government employees managing it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the keys are, are right there in the servers. Now, Apple told me uh, on the record that it has made, how can I say this, uh, that that it's designed this data center in a way that, that means that it has retained control of the keys. And I can't really say much more, but that's kind of what Apple will tell us. Um, but security experts basically say that, listen, no engineer could solve the problem that Apple has created for them. And that is, you have a sophisticated nation state with physical control of your computers. To try to prevent a hack in that environment is essentially impossible. Um, you know, th- there is no software that is unbreakable mm-hmm. or unhackable. Um, and it only becomes far easier when A, you have physical control over the computer, and B, you have unlimited resources and you're the Chinese government. Um, When you've willingly gone in and set set it up this way and you have a government with a propensity to snoop. Yeah. And and has shown that the U S government has any less propensity. I mean, we, you know, we have all those Snowden revelations that we're not exactly hands off in this country, but, and I think that's an important point. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it it would be true in both cases. Mm -hmm. If, If you were storing iCloud data on FBI servers, I think that would raise a lot of questions and we would have assumptions that the FBI would be able to get access to the data. You could do it. You just couldn't position yourself as the privacy first company. I think that's part of what the story is all about is is that there's, yeah, that there's, uh, there seems to be a disconnect between what Apple has said publicly, uh, including even about this data in China um, and what actually is happening. And what's your, what, what do you think the disconnect is? Well, I mean, we from a, from a high level, um, as you pointed out at the beginning, uh, Apple has made its brand about privacy. Uh, you know, Tim Cook has continued to repeat the line, "Privacy is a fundamental human right." Mm-hmm. And at the same time, except as in China, yeah, <laughs> as he's begun to say that, he's also yeah. uh, agreed to store his customers' data on Chinese government servers. Um, and then at the same time, I mean, Apple has not been asked about this arrangement in China much, but there was an interview with Vice in 2018 in mm-hmm. which they they did push him on it. And he really was dismissive and said, 
Um, listen, there's no difference on where the data is and what country. We have the keys. It's all safe. Um, and I think that speaking to security experts, they disagree with that. Yeah. And so let's say uh, the Chinese government wanted to get in and, and did what what sort of, I mean, I think you hinted at this at the beginning or you mentioned this at the beginning. What sort of access to information would they have of um, Chinese iPhone users? If I mean, they it's, were able to crack uh, sure. this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, iCloud is, uh, <laughs> we all know, we all have our deepest, darkest secrets on our smartphones, mm-hmm. right? And and I, I some of us who are, I think, um, savvy about technology uh, would be hesitant to back up our whole phones to the iCloud because it's going to be less secure than having it just on your encrypted phone. Um, but yeah, I mean, people who use the iCloud service and are backing up data to, to Apple servers, that ins- that's stuff like your whole address book, your contact book, um, all your emails, potentially all your text messages, um, mm. your calendars, your like your current location with the my find my iPhone um, stuff. So there's there's a lot of sensitive data there. Um, your documents um, and the other thing, I mean, that not something you willingly yeah. want to hand over to a government. No, uh, of course not. Yeah. Absolutely not. And um, there there is some data um, that is end-to-end decrypted uh, in iCloud, uh, mm-hmm. stuff like your health data, your passwords, and your credit card information. So that stuff would be still potentially at risk, but it's more protected than some of this other data, um, which actually travels uh, for some time unencrypted based on on the level of encryption. Um, the other thing I do want to say, though, is, is um, you know, something that we've talked about and some, I think, critics of our story have said is... This is all in China. You know, there's a lot of assumptions that the Chinese government, they already surveil their users. Uh, they already surveil their citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look at WeChat um, and, and uh, other services that I think have been widely reported uh, for the Chinese government has a pretty, um, you know, inside access to uh, the data on those services. Why is this a big deal? And I think one thing that I do want to say is if you're in China and, and you're a dissident or a journalist or a democracy activist, um, you're probably going to use an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, probably the safest thing you could use there. And they're also, you're hearing assurances from the company that your data is safe. And if you had that reassurance, um, you may be misguided. And that was why uh, these may be very high value targets for the government um, who have their data on servers that are also owned by the government. Yeah. And it comes back to, I think what we were talking about in the first segment, right? Like go ahead, do what you need to Apple, but tell the truth about it. And Mm -hmm. your we're for the customer. We're for privacy messaging has some serious holes in it. And that could end up putting people at risk. Indeed. I, I, again, there, there, there is that disconnect, I think. And, um, and, and this is just, it's an uncomfortable reality. For mm-hmm. Apple, um, going back to you know the first question you asked is, these are not things they want to do, but they're doing them because they have to because they need China, yeah. and the stakes are too high to push back. And I was about to pull back to that as well because you know we know that now Apple needs China, uh, mm-hmm. and this is you know it's the the this is one level to push, but what's to What's to make us believe that China isn't going to push Apple even more, knowing this incredibly, like if China kicked Apple out, that would be seriously bad for Apple's business. So China knows it kind of owns Apple in that way. So what's to stop the government for pushing it even harder? I mean, 
it'd be inaccurate to say that Apple doesn't have any leverage. Um, mm-hmm. So the, I don't, I don't, I think the Chinese government, it, there, there's a dance that's happening, right? Mm-hmm. The Chinese government, I think clearly has the upper hand in the relationship, but at the same time, um, the Chinese government doesn't want to destroy the whole Apple supply chain because it, it employs millions of people's millions of people and Chinese government, uh, sorry. And Chinese citizens want iPhones and want Apple products. Um, and so you don't want right. to piss off your whole populace um, because they, you know, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to let, let them have certain products. And then at the same time, you're going to piss off uh, other America. Nationals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And other con- companies, right? There's, there's a whole cascade of okay. effects that could happen there. Mm-hmm. But um, nevertheless, like <laughs> the Chinese government could do it if it wanted to. And it, and it certainly is a, it, it's a, it's an arrow in its quiver for sure. And it's something that has to make Apple very uh, concerned. Right. Do you, do you, uh, after writing a story like this, do you wonder like, oh, can I still travel to China? Like, did you think about that at all? Would you go on vacation there? <laughs> I mean, I'd love to go to China for a number of reasons because mm-hmm. it's a fascinating country. Uh, but I think that, um, I think that'd be difficult for me to get a visa right now, particularly because <laughs> the Chinese government has expelled all of the New York Times journalists, essentially, right. except one right now. So mm-hmm. my colleague, Raymond Zhang, who's who's on the story with me, he had at the beginning when we started reporting on this, mm-hmm. he was in China. He went to Guizhou Province, where this data center is, but now he's in Taipei because uh, he's been exp- his visa has been revoked. Yeah. yeah. What about so, as a that's tourist? That's the nature. Would you go uh, as a tourist? He, I would. I would love to go as a tourist. Yeah, yeah. I, but I still think they'd be a little bit. Uh, you might they, get they may not if you get tourist visa yeah. too. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Uh, but it's a good idea. Yeah. No, I'm just curious. I'm like, I wonder, yeah, I, I'm naturally curious, like whether writing a story sure. like this will end up sealing off that part of the world for you. It'll be, it'll it be could, interesting it to could. try it out. It, yeah, it may. Yeah. Right. And, but certainly that's not a, as, as I know, yeah. you know, like, well, that's you wrote this never going to stop me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is, um, just end of the interview curiosity questions. So, sure, sure, um, sure. all right, let's, let's wrap with this. So, uh, after your story went out, uh, Apple's stock, I, I checked yesterday, is up. Uh, and <laughs> it's it just sort of how it goes, right? That companies do whatever they want and yeah. you know, there doesn't seem to be any recourse. And I doubt that Apple's going to be looked at. And I mean, maybe it's possible, but I, I doubt that Apple will be looked at in any other way than the way that it wants to be portrayed, which is that it is the privacy first company and people do love their products. They even love them in China, as you mentioned, where mm-hmm. their data mm-hmm. is now owned by a subsidiary of the Chinese government. So yeah. what do you yeah. think about that? And, and, you know, just before you answer, like I'll, I'll add to it, what something we spoke about in the first part of this discussion, which is even if Fortnite wins, it will be years and years and years until, you know, any of the recourse that the courts will give it uh, end up going into action. So um it does seem like we have these big companies that seem to be impervious to any sort of accountability. And I'm curious what you think about that. I think that that is uh, a an extra, very accurate statement. I mean, there at the very least, um, there there's a too big to fail feeling about all of this. Of course, I mean th- this is uh, this is a company that is uh, makes. And the more money than than really any company has ever made in terms of profits, uh, it's the most valuable company in the history of the world. And we wrote a story that, yeah, maybe it got a few hundred thousand readers, but uh, this is a really complicated mm-hmm. topic. Um, 
you know, I think it's tough even for lawmakers uh, to, to sink their teeth into uh, and for them to even do anything with it. Um, and I, I'm just not surprised that uh, it's it's not going to have any real traction, um, you know, with the wider public because Apple is perhaps the most iconic brand in the country. Its its products really are beloved, and um, and uh, it's not going any away anytime soon. I mean, it, it has built um, this enormous. I hate to use jargon, but this enormous moat. I mean, I think you know. Apple could be here in 50 years and, and no one would be terribly surprised. And that's saying something given how quickly technology changes. Um, and I also think, you know, I will say that um, it's really run by a number of shrewd people. I mean, I think Tim mm-hmm. Cook is a really skilled executive and he, 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 um, this is not the stuff I'm reporting is not news to him. Um, he, he, I think knows what he's doing in some ways and is, in his, um, He's he's pulling it off because uh, he's becoming a very rich man and he's running a very successful company. Um, and so, you know, uh, that is what it is. Yeah. Well, Jack, the Apple beat is no longer boring. It's <laughs> quite exciting. <laughs> Pleased uh, to hear and it. Your stories have definitely played a big part of that. So I appreciate you coming on and speaking with me about them. Speaking Thanks so much for having me, Alex. Really so appreciate it. If people want to find them, they can go to your page on The Times or follow you on Twitter. Where's the best places to find yeah. you and get in touch and all that stuff? Yeah, they can they can follow me on Twitter at Jack Nickus or Google Jack Nickus, N-I-C-A-S, and uh, you'll find my New York Times stories. Okay, great. I uh, Let me see. I'm getting better at the technology, and so I think I can drop them in the show notes as well. Uh, I, Still believe, I believe in you. Still here. I'm a big technology <laughs> podcast. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Nate Guatney for doing the edits on a very tight turnaround. Thanks to Red Circle for selling the ads and hosting the podcast. Thanks to Jack for joining us. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week, uh, next Wednesday, with another interview with a tech insider or an outside agitator. So uh, we hope to see you then. If it's your first time here, please subscribe. If you haven't uh, yet, you've made it all the way to the end. Uh, We'd love to have you rate the show. Uh, That helps a lot in terms of discovery so we can get discovered on this uh on the uh the vast domain of the world's largest company apple uh, all right well that will do it for us this week thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week take care